question, are you an evolutionist? You know, it seems to be that this is the expected belief in society today, isn't it? The scientific community, they don't hardly talk about it as theory anymore. They like to almost refer to it as fact. But the fact of the matter is, it's still a theory. But sadly, many are caving to the pressure. Sadly, even within our own ranks, there are individuals who have thrown out this idea of creation. Maybe it's the endless articles that we see. I was curious, just in looking at Time magazine alone, I don't know why I picked out Time, but there are so many various articles talking about evolution, where we came from, Big Bang, Big Daddy, how many evolved, and so on and so forth, that it just is rather astounding how often this gets a front page in just one magazine, let alone all of the others. And in each one of these magazines, in most all of these articles, You'll find something that looks probably similar to something like this, going back eons of millions and billions of years, and how we as a people have progressed to where we are today. We see it in textbooks. We see it in interviews on virtually everywhere we go. You go to the Smithsonian or a museum. It's there. The timelines are all there. This seems to be the accepted norm. And anyone who sees things differently, well, they just don't know what they're talking about. And where did it start? Well, it goes back to Charles Darwin and his work, originally published in 1859, on the origin of species. And it seems like other headlines are showing that the papacy and the Catholic Church likes to appeal to both camps, too. I came across this. This was just five years ago. Pope Francis, evolution is not inconsistent with the notion of creation. Enlarging that bottom portion there, it says, When we read about creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God, or imagining God was a magician with a magical wand able to do everything. But that is not so. Does anybody take issue with that? As if a magician with a magic wand can do more than our creator God? Have mercy. Continuing, he created human beings and then let them develop according to their internal laws that he gave to each one so they would reach their fulfillment. So if you break that down, God is really not powerful enough to create by his word. He's not some magician. It's not as the Genesis account really states, but that he created human beings with the the ability to develop and reach our fulfillment. So what God was essentially powerless to do, we can accomplish on our own, just given millions and billions of years. And if that's so, if we are truly that capable, does that make us more powerful than the God that created us? That the fact that we're in a higher state than we were at creation? And if that is in fact the case, maybe we should just be worshiping ourselves. And much of society would happily agree and go right along, wouldn't they? Continuing this article, it says evolution in nature is not opposed to the notion of creation because evolution presupposes, or we could say assumes, the creation of beings that evolve. Now, this isn't new. In case you're wondering, the traditional Catholic teaching has not been at odds with evolution. In 1950, Pope Pius XII proclaimed that there was no opposition between evolution and the Catholic doctrine. And in 1996, St. Paul, John Paul, excuse me, the second endorsed Pius' statement. And so for a long time, the Catholic Church has said, you can have both. You believe in creation? Yes, we do. Yes, but do you believe in evolution? Yes, we do. Whatever you like, we can offer it to you. Interesting. 
Friends, is our doctrine something like a buffet? That we can just walk in, pick up a plate, and look over at things and see, yes, I'll take a little bit of this, and a little bit of, oh, but I don't want any of that. I'm going to pass on this over here. Is that how it works? I don't think so. What's the definition, if we can, of evolution? Well, the two that I have listed here, there's a few more. The process by which different kinds of living organisms are thought to have developed and diversified from earlier forms during the history of the earth, be it millions and billions of years. And secondly, the gradual development of something, especially from a simple to a more complex form. So I asked you this morning, is this how we came to be? And everything is always couched in millions and billions of years as if the problem goes away after millions and billions of years. Let's suppose you have a leak in your roof. There is a nail sticking up. There is a hole that has been created. The water is coming in. And my wife says, honey, we need to do something about this water that's coming down the wall. And I say, darling, just give it a few billion years. It will take care of itself. That it might. But will the roof ever get fixed? I don't think so. Well, maybe we just tack on a few more billion years. The inanimate object of the nail will combine with the living or formerly living of the wood and the tar paper, and they will somehow create and evolve into something that is a patch. You're saying our pastor has lost his mind. I choose to believe Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. We could almost put a period right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or the alternative, we evolved over billions and billions of years. You used to be a worm or a slug or something of that nature. And then you progressed into something a little bit bigger, a little bit better, a little fancier. Until eventually over millions and billions of years, you had fur and hair and skin and all of these other things. Which is harder to believe. Revelation 4:11 says, "You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power." And why is our God worthy to receive our praise this morning? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's right there. It's fundamental of praising and worshiping our God is to recognize him as our creator who formed and fashioned us. Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Think about that. By his own word. This is power. He doesn't need some magician's wand. He just speaks the word. And what was not there is now there. What did not exist now exists. This is the power of the living God. This is the power of the created or creator God. And this, again, I would submit to you, is the power of God's word that is still living and active today. But the devil hates the word. The devil hates the creator. And so if you can get rid of creation through evolution, everything else starts to crumble. Scientific evidence, they say, shows that the physical and behavioral traits shared by all people originated from ape-like ancestors and evolved over a period of approximately six million years. How do you like that as part of your identity? Genesis 1.26 tells us, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. I would much prefer the latter. To be created in the image of God, rather than just being a little bit higher than the apes. 
Review and Herald says this, All heaven took a deep and joyful interest in the creation of the world and of man. Human beings were a new and distinct order. They were made in the image of God. We were something new. I imagine after the fall, there was this void that was created. And Jesus says, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to create something out of my own or after my own image. And all of heaven was excited to see what would be produced. Not from apes, not from billions of years, but after the image of God. Hebrews 11, verse 3, the faith chapter. It says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Again, by faith, we accept the fact that Jesus spoke and it came into being. In the same way, in any passage of Scripture, we can take God's word to the bank, and when he speaks in his word, it becomes life and power to us. But then you still have this theory of Darwin. I want to just look briefly. We don't have a whole lot of time left, so we're going to go fast. But some pitfalls to Darwin's theory. Number one, still no proof of non-life generating life. That pretty much should end the conversation right there. That's a very big oops, or what if, or where is it? Darwin called it the warm little pond. Friends, in no laboratory have they come close to replicating even a single human hair, much less create life from non-life. Number two. Peyton mentioned this one. Cells are far more complex than Darwin conceived. He thought it was a few elementary components that could be easily assembled. Guess again, Charles Darwin. In fact, if you can read this, we have learned that within the cell, there's information processing, storage, retrieval, artificial languages and their decoding systems, error detection, correction and proofreading for quality control, digital data, embedded technology, transportation and distribution systems, automated parcel addressing similar to zip codes or UPS labels, cell-free producing robotic manufacturing plants, and it's all happening within the cell. A little more complex than he thought that it was. A few elementary components that we could recreate. Not yet, and I don't think ever. Number three, everything we know about DNA indicates that it programs a species to remain within the limits of its own general type. I mean, if you want to have this dog with this dog and create a different kind or form of dog, that can happen. But take your poodle and an alligator and put them together, and you're not going to get a poodigator. <laughs> Sorry, that's not in my notes. <laughs> it doesn't work. There's limits. In DNA. Number four, Darwin assumes more fossil findings would fill missing links of mutating species. But they have not, even after 160 years, found any of these missing links. I didn't get that word just right, but you understand. So all these missing links between, these big jumps, if you will, oh, in time, they'll come to the surface. And so we have, I don't know how many, over a quarter of a million, and that was back in the 1979 or something, the scientist made this statement. And he says, and we still, the gap still remains. We still don't have these missing links. Another big oops. Here's the quote. I forgot I put it in there. The number of intermediate and transitional links between all living and extinct species must have been inconceivably great. This is Darwin writing, by the way. But assuredly, if this theory be true, such have lived upon the earth. They're out there. We just have to find them. This is on page 289, The Origin of Species. So there's all these intermediate animal types or whatever between this type of animal and that type of animal. There must be a ton of them out there on the earth. We just have to find them if this theory be true, writes Darwin. Have we found them? No. And number five, 
I could go on, but I'm only going to do five. Don't worry. No good answers for the Cambrian explosion in which fossils of a bewildering variety of complex life forms appear suddenly without predecessors. It's like this big boom of life. And it's not this, you know, long over millions and billions of years. It's just this big kaboom. And where does it all come from? Again, can't be explained. Unless you just want to take God's word for it. Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully, what's the word? Made. If you look at the eye and the complexity of the eye, if you look at the heart and the complexity of the heart, of the lung, of the liver, of any number of things, you can see that we were designed by a designer, not by chance. So how about this question? How does evolution impact various things, starting out our view of God? What might the devil have had in mind if he could just tweak it just a little bit? Because if it truly is a buffet, if I can take it or leave it, can I still keep everything else? That's essentially the question. So I want to look at some of these. How does evolution impact our view of God? Well, first off, God may be loving, but he's not very powerful. Because it took him millions of years to create us. Wouldn't that be true? Another reason, God is not all-knowing because he did not foresee the pain and heartache that comes with evolving over millions of years. And since he didn't know, he's not responsible. I mean, is evolution and the explanation of, of the hunted and, and all of these National Geographic and the survival of the fittest, is that, well, God just didn't know. Are you okay with that? Makes God very impersonal. Think about this. When in the millions of years did God decide he wanted to have a personal relationship with the human race? When was it? Year 400,963? Because a couple of cells came together and now they could say, Amen. It doesn't make any sense. And so it makes God impersonal. Not very powerful and certainly not all-knowing. How does evolution impact scripture? Well, the Bible evolved just like life evolved some might say. Or the Bible writers were more simple in their thinking than we are today. We're more developed in our thinking. Or if the Bible evolved, then truth evolved and still is. Now, truth for a long time was lost, and God's word for a long time was lost. And we have been rediscovering the truth. But friends, truth has always been. God has always been. We just lost it for a time, and we have been reminded of what is truth. But truth is not evolving. God is not evolving. And this idea, if the Bible is evolving, then whatever they thought about 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that is obsolete to what I'm thinking now. And essentially what it does is the Bible becomes archaic rather than authoritative, and it loses its power and authority. And it also makes God a liar when in Genesis he says, it is good. What is good? The slug? Some try to keep both, to meld scripture with evolution, but it becomes very difficult. And friends, when you start with an idol, and then you look in scripture to support your idol, it doesn't work so well. Because God's word then has to conform to your idol, and it usually, your faith doesn't last long. Next one here. How does evolution impact the Sabbath? Well, first of all, with evolution... Where would the Sabbath even come from? Not from the Creator or creation. So it's just another day. Do you see how everything starts to unravel when you throw out creation? Not a sign of resting in His free gift of salvation. Certainly not necessary or worth dying over. It's just this fabrication, I suppose. How does evolution impact sin? Well, evolution makes evil good because that is the means by which we are progressing. Think about that for a moment. 
through all of these millions and billions of years and all the evil done, we're better today than we were before. And so it makes evil good. If God created over millions of years, what is sin? When is someone kept accountable for sin? And if you don't have the fall in the Garden of Eden, if there was no fall, then there is no guilt that needs to be remedied. How does evolution impact the judgment? Well, as an evolutionist, why is there a judgment? What is there to judge? Is it because we didn't evolve fast enough? Is that what you're holding over my head? And after all, who would have the right to judge me anyway? If there's no creator, they don't have the right to judge me. Pretty simple concept. I have dominion over the things I create, don't I? I can publish it. I can trash it. I can burn it. I can do what I want with it because I created it. I made it, and therefore it is mine. But if there's no creation, there's no creator, then there's no judgment. How does evolution impact salvation? Well, if there's no, need, no sin, no judgment, then there's no need for salvation. Jesus merely becomes our example, not our atonement. And if I believe in Jesus, he didn't come to die in our place, but simply to manifest love. And that's nice. He is a God of love. But that was all he did was to come and show love. And we could even say, well, Christ came simply to speed up evolution. He came to show us how we could be better people. And really, why do I need salvation when we just keep getting better and better and better anyway? How does evolution impact the resurrection of Christ? Well, if he didn't create by his word the way Genesis says, then how in the world does he have power to come down and resurrect Christ? That would also take millions and billions of years, wouldn't it? How does evolution impact the second coming? Same idea. If God did not create by his word, as the Bible says in Genesis, then how is he simply going to come at the end of time to resurrect his people? How? With his magic wand? Yeah. By his own word, he will speak, just like he did in Genesis. Oh, but there's no Genesis. There's no creator. And it shoots a hole in the resurrection at the second coming. And I certainly don't like the idea that he's going to start a process of millions of years to get us back to the new Jerusalem. However, in some form, in this sense, we can be similar to the evolutionists when we think that, yes, the Bible claims this, and in Christ I am that, but it's going to take Millions and billions of days for me to accomplish it. Or is it the simple fact that he said it, I believe it, and it becomes fact and reality now? When he healed, pick up your bed and walk. And at that very moment, they were changed, weren't they? But we like to soften God's word and we like to say, well, God's word, it works, but it works over thousands and millions and billions of days. No, it works in a moment, friends. And if we're not careful, as creationists, in part we can be evolutionists. That's just an aside. How does evolution impact our view of ourselves? Well, we're not creating God's image, but that of an ape. How does that impact your view of yourself? I don't know about you, but I think it undermines our value and our purpose. And it causes people to tend to look inside for God and we become self-sufficient, and really become our own gods. I remember a story when Mark Finley went to a communist country, and he was preaching there on this topic, creation versus evolution, and he was simply reasoning because he couldn't, they wouldn't allow him to use scripture, so he was reasoning. He says, you can have it one of two ways. Either 
You came from apes, and you're just a little higher than the apes. And when you die, your body will return to the dust of the ground, and you have no meaning, no purpose. And when you die, it's over and it's finished. Or you can come from a God who created you, formed you, and fashioned you. He has a purpose for your life. He has redeemed you. He has pardoned you. And he wants to grant you eternal life and to live forever with him. Which would you choose? The reality of this whole dilemma is putting a theory and philosophy over God's word, friends. And how does evolution impact how we treat others? Survival of the fittest. No offense, I'm just better than you. I ousted you. I'm wealthy because I'm smarter than you. Natural selection. I chose a better wife than you did. You know, and the list goes on and on. Feeling of superiority because I have more wealth or power can lead to ethnic cleansing and the improvement of the human species. But this certainly would never happen. Or would it? Hitler's secretary, Christa Schroeder, speaks often in her memoirs that Hitler spoke of human evolution. This idea, we're getting better and better. The German people are the best, so we need to take charge of the world. It doesn't matter how we do it or what we do to other people. And so, yes, evolution affects how we treat other people. So creation, it's a big deal. Not only speaks of where we came from, but it keeps us grounded in God's word. It helps us understand this great controversy and sin and the judgment, the plan of salvation, the second coming. It impacts how we treat each other and the faith in God to recreate, as the junior Sabbath school brought out, to recreate in us today. Psalm 51.10, create in me over millions and billions of years. No, right now. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do we believe the power of God's word spoken? How about this one? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not fixed, new. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's faith in God, in his word, and in his power to create in me, not just when he comes, but now a new spirit, a new attitude, a new mindset starting today. I don't know if you're familiar with a man by the name of Roger Marneau. He's no longer living, but he has an incredible story, and he's written several books, some on prayer and and many other things. But this is one that's an interesting read, A Trip into the Supernatural. He got into spiritualism as a young man and became entrenched as a follower of Satan and became really high up in the upper echelons, if you will, of demonic activity, the church of Satan, and all of that. And here you have him. This is, you can tell, it's years ago. Doug Batcher looks a little different now. But he was being uh, interviewed by Doug Batcher years ago on Amazing Facts and other places. And he speaks of in this book how he heard and witnessed many things being discussed by Satan's evil angels as their plan, their method to dupe the world, to lead men and women astray, and particularly how to neutralize people from God and his word. And this is coming from his book. It says, the third point in the plan, Lucifer and his spirit counselors, was to destroy, oops, the Bible, without burning it. You want to know what the other two were? You're going to have to get the book. It was very interesting because after the great general council, it was decided that Satan would tutor Charles Darwin personally in setting up the principles of his theories of evolution. He was tutored by Lucifer himself, the fallen Lucifer. Now you say, now this is just too much. I can't take this. 
You're telling me? Friends, is it all too impossible? Don't we? Aren't we the people that believe in the great controversy? Are we just kind of spaying around here waiting and twiddling our thumbs? Or is there an active individual or force, the devil, Lucifer, who was cast out, seeking you and our demise? Isn't it true? Is it so inconceivable to us that if God inspires people, the devil won't inspire people? And so he says, he overheard this, and he continued on. It was understood that if a person was led to believe in the theory of evolution, it would in his life destroy completely the creation week of the Bible, the fall of man, and the plan of redemption. It would do away with it. Have we seen that come to pass? And then this gets really interesting. One of the, the Satanist priests raised his hands and asked, What about the Adventists? What about this group? Worshiping on Sabbath. And the response comes back. The reason they cannot be brought under the great deception. The fact that the Adventists observe the biblical Sabbath of creation and reverence the creator that day. It makes it impossible for the spirits to deceive them. They are not ordinary people. End quote. I read that and I say, whoa, I don't like the idea that the devil's having meetings and and counseling and coming up with game plans. I just like to prefer not to even think about that. And that's one of the devil's tactics as well. He doesn't even exist. He's just a cartoon figure. Friends, he exists. And he means for our harm. And he saw something here that he could capitalize on. And now we have seen a society virtually wholeheartedly grasp onto something that has no biblical validity and undermines virtually everything we believe in and our theology crumbles. It's not just one topic on the buffet of doctrine. They all are intermingled. They're all interconnected. And so it's a big deal. So day one, let there be light. Day two, let there be firmament. Day three, let there be dry land. Day four, let there be lights in the firmament. Day five, let there be sea creatures and every winged bird. Day six, let there be every land animal. And let us make man in our image, says God's word. And then on day seven, God rested from his work. It says he blessed it. Meaning he turns his full attention towards it. He sanctified it. It's another word for saying he made it holy. He holyized it with his own presence infused into that day. And then thirdly, it says he rested as divine example and that we too can rest in that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor the day. Why? As a safeguard against the attacks of the enemy. Because friends, he's not just our creator, he's our redeemer. And if you take away one, you take away the other. And so the Sabbath is our weekly reminder of our creator who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and fully able to recreate in us His character, His likeness, for His glory. Can you say amen to that? I like this quote, Signs of the Time, 1901, says, God created man for His glory. It was His purpose to repopulate heaven with the human race. If after test and trial, they proved to be loyal to Him. That was His purpose in creating us in his image, to bring glory to him, to repopulate heaven. And the devil hates that purpose and has sought ever since to undermine that purpose. And so, friends, the deception's out there. It's all around us with the pervading idea that anyone with half a brain 
believes in evolution. But friends, in these last days, I encourage you, I implore you to stand alone on the Word of God. Because we find right there the heart of Revelation in the three angels' message. Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him. And who are we worshiping? Worship Him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. I don't know about you, but my faith has found a resting place. Not in a man-made creed. My soul is resting on the Word of God, the living Word of God. Salvation in my Savior's name. Salvation through His blood. I need no other evidence. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and rose again for me. Friends, if that is your commitment this morning, if you want to stand alone on the Word of God, I invite you to stand as we sing our closing hymn this morning. It's hymn number 523. My faith has found a resting place. And all along, we have decided a long time ago to trust alone on your word. If your word says it, we believe it, and that settles it. And so, Lord, I pray that more than before, we can be assured of your word, that you are the creator God, that you did, in fact, die and raise from the dead. You have conquered the grave, and that in Jesus Christ, we have hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.